0: Some of you who are here consistently, you know that these are the same verses, basically the same verses that we uh, looked at last week. And last week we focused in on uh, the statement that it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. So uh, I I actually wanna just back up a little bit today and I want to focus on um, this person that has come up over and over again in scripture and it's this man named Barnabas. So, we're gonna be looking at uh, Barnabas today and seeing how he's really, uh, in many ways, he's, he's just a type of what all of us really uh, want to be. But let me just remind you that the church in Antioch so, this is a, a church that is uh, in uh, what, what we would know today as Syria, and um, it, it really became um, the center for the international mission in many ways. Of course, Jerusalem is where everything started. Um, but as, as time passed, uh, Antioch, in, in many ways, sort of replaced Jerusalem as uh, the center for uh, international mission. It was, a, it was a great church. It was a Jesus-centered church. It was a multi-ethnic church, culturally diverse, grace-filled, Bible-based, gospel-driven, mission-minded. It was the kind of church that every pastor <laughs> wishes they could pastor. It was just a great, great church. And uh, part of that had to do with the leadership. And one of the people that was there, a key figure who was involved in the early development and then the, the later life of the church, uh, is this man, uh, Barnabas. Now, in the story, as we've been following uh Luke telling the story of early Christianity, we have met with Barnabas already on a, a couple of occasions. And let me remind you a little bit about that. So the first, the first time Barnabas uh, shows up in the story is in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. At the very end of the chapter, it says this, it says, uh, and Joseph, that was his birth name, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is our first introduction to him. Now notice Barnabas is really like a nickname. Uh, His actual name was Joseph, but he was nicknamed Barnabas because he was an encourager and the name means uh, son of encouragement. Uh, We we see Barnabas again in the ninth chapter, and there we read concerning Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who had uh, just recently become a believer after having been a persecutor. It says in the ninth chapter, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how Saul had seen the Lord on the road, and how he, Saul, had spoken to, uh, or the Lord had spoken to Saul, and how he, Saul, had preached boldly in Damascus uh, in the name of Jesus. And so now we come to the passage that we just read today, and the church in Jerusalem, they hear about all the exciting things happening in Antioch. And so they, they send Barnabas to Antioch. And so we read here, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were, were added to the Lord. So today I want us to focus in on um, this man, Barnabas, because Barnabas, like I said, he's really a picture of what every one of us should aspire to as individual followers of Christ and also of what our ethos should be as a community of believers in Jesus, so the word ethos means like our our defining characteristic. So collectively, as a congregation, you know what what are, what are people going to sense when they come, maybe and visit, or they, they come and they're they're here with us. What what do they feel in the air? Well, uh, what we want them to feel is this same kind of thing that Barnabas brought into the church in Antioch and so as he comes there being true to his nickname son of encouragement we read here that he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord so the word encouragement here we have it in the text it comes from the Greek word "parakaleo." So parakaleo is actually two words um, put together as one word. And it means, para means to come alongside. And kaleo means to call or to urge. And so the word here translated encouragement is that word. Now, Now, this is a rich word that no one English word uh, can adequately express. As a matter of fact, in our English translations, um, at least seven different words are used to translate this one word. So that, so th- this is the thing about the Greek language. You know, sometimes we refer to Greek words or we talk about the Greek because the New Testament was written in Greek. And um, one of the things about the Greek language is it's it's rich. And there, there are many more words in Greek than there are in English. So uh, sometimes there 's not one English word that 's going to really adequately translate what the, what the Greek word means, so you need more than one word so like i said there 's at least seven that we find in our English translations. I want to give you four of those words and um, four English words, and I think that these words will help uh, give the full meaning of the word now these are words that we all know, but have you ever had a moment where you, you say a word or you write a word and you know the word and you use the word all the time, but all of a sudden you go like, wait, well, what, what does this word actually mean? You know, sometimes it's good to really kind of just think about uh, these words, but the four words that I want us to consider are comfort, encourage, beseech, and exhort. So all of these words with the exception of beseech, we don't really use that one too much, but, um, the King James version of the Bible translates this word "parakaleo" uh, beseech uh, more than with any of the other Greek words. But but let's think about these words for a moment. So we all know what the word comfort means, right? We we know we, we use that word frequently. Um, but let's think about it for a moment. For a moment. So so it means to assure. It means to cheer someone, say, who's downcast. Uh, It means to console. It means to soothe uh, someone who might be in pain. So those are synonyms for for comfort. Uh, And then the word encourage. That's the English word that we have here. Uh, Encourage, the word itself actually means to inspire with courage. That's what the word encourage means. Um, It means to hearten. It means to bear up. It means to embolden. So you can see with both of these words, um, they're, they're, they're words that, that speak of um, you know, affirming and um, they're words that you could definitely connect to uh, a loving tone. Um, but then you've got beseech and exhort. And these words are a little bit different. So beseech means to appeal, or to entreat, or to implore, or to plead. So those, those words are, are a bit stronger. And then the word exhort um, is even a, a little bit stronger. Exhort means to warn. It means to urge strongly. It means to prod. It means to prompt. So how is it that all of these English words are used to translate this one Greek word? Well, you see, this this is a word that um, is really communicating all of these things. And so when Barnabas encouraged them in Antioch, or when the apostles nicknamed him the son of encouragement, it was because this is what he brought when he came into a place. He brought the comfort he brought, the encouragement he at times would beseech, he at times would exhort. I like the way Timothy Keller uh, referred to the word. He said it's a it's a strong tender word. So it's a word that combines the ideas of love and truth. Combines both ideas. Paul expressed it in his letter to the Ephesians in this uh, phrase, speaking the truth in love. So that's what Barnabas did. He was a person who spoke the truth in love. Now, true and effective gospel ministry in the church and even out to the world will happen as we do that same thing, as we Uh, parakaleo. If you want to just take that and make that a word now, you can use that word now in in English. (laughs) Like we use paralegal or paramedic, you know, it's so parakaleo. So it's to minister truth in love to one another and also to those who are um, outside, those who do not yet know Christ. Now, this combination of love and truth is so important. They really must go as we seek to minister to each other and, and also as we seek to bring the gospel to others. These, these two things really need to go hand in hand. John Stott said this, and I think he's accurate. He said, he said love is soft if it's not strengthened by truth and truth is hard if it's not softened by love. And so that's why it's important that both of these things are together. And, and this word, that, that's really, like I said, that's really what is being expressed here. That's the idea. So I want to talk about um, this parakaleo. I want to talk about this in the church first. And then I want to talk about it out in the world. And then finally, we want to see You know, how does this just become a reality uh, in our own lives? So first of all, parakaleo in the church, all believers are really called to this. So so Barnabas had this, uh, this was just his unique gifting, but it wasn't limited to Barnabas. It was never intended to be limited to just one person. Uh, As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 3 as well as chapter 10, we read there in chapter 3, we read, exhort one another daily, lest anyone be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And then in chapter 10, verse 25, we read that um, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So um, exhort one another daily, exhorting one another. Those are the same words. parakaleo is the, the word translated in both cases there. And so we see that the writer to the Hebrews was basically challenging the, the congregation to engage uh, with one another in this type of ministry, in this Ministry that is a blending of uh, love and truth. Now, when it comes to speaking love and truth, we are often on one side or the other. You know, there are, for for some people, they they don't have any problem uh, speaking truth, but when they speak it, it you know, they're it's it's really hard. And and oftentimes it's harsh. And so oftentimes you find that uh, we are either hardline people who are all about the truth and don't care if people are hurt or cut down, or we are people who are so afraid of offending somebody else or hurting someone's feelings, um, or we're afraid of what other people think about us, that That we refrain from telling people the truth. Uh, These are two fairly common attitudes. Uh, So parakaleo is it's it's taking, so you know, it's taking the, the person who tends to be the hardline person and it's softening that with the love. And it's taking the person who just doesn't want to step on anybody's toes, he never wants to offend anybody, and it's giving them the, the courage to be able to say what needs to be said. And, and this is the only way we are going to grow as the people of God, right? There are times when we need somebody to kind of give us a, uh, like a holy, you know, slap in the face. You know, kind of just like wake us up, like, oh, wow, yeah. Uh, And, you know, normally we don't appreciate it at the moment, but, you know, later on you think, wow, I'm really glad that that person did that. It really, it really got me to see something that I wasn't seeing. But then of course there are those times too, when, when somebody needs someone else to just come alongside and, and just be there to comfort and just be there to really encourage. And so parakaleo, I like this definition is a sympathetic, loving insistence on the truth. It is just the right mixture of love and truth. So that's what we're talking about here. It's just the right mixture uh, of these two things. But it's a sympathetic, that's the para, the loving, that's the para, But then the kaleo is insistence on the truth. So we're not going to back down from the truth. We're not going to be flexible when it comes to truth. Truth is truth. And we've got to stand firm on truth, but we're going to do that in a sympathetic and a loving fashion. And and of course, there are times when uh, one might outweigh the other. There are times when the uh, you know, the, the parakaleo will be uh, better, uh, better understood as an exhortation, a warning, uh, a, uh, a, a prodding, an urging. And then there are times when it will be better understood or, or experienced as, as a comfort, as an encouragement. So again, remember Barnabas, he brings this into the church in Antioch. And he brings us into the church and it has, a, it has an impact on the church. But it doesn't only impact the church. We read that and many more were added to the church as a result of, of the ministry of Barnabas there. So it didn't just stay within the walls of the church, but it actually, you know, it, it, it transferred outside. And of course, God is wanting to do two things. He's wanting to build us up and to bless us as his people through this uh, encouragement ministry. But as he does that, he wants it to have an impact on the outside as well. He wants us to transfer from uh, our gatherings. He wants it to reach out to the world. So that brings us to looking at the parakaleo uh, toward those who are outside the church. And this is so important at the present time. So important, you know there there are times in life, there are times in history, even uh, where you know there 's a certain environment or a certain atmosphere that you find yourselves in, and um, in order to be effective ministers of the gospel in those atmospheres, sometimes we have to make we have to make certain kinds of adjustments, and we have to you know, you might use the word recalibrate. We have to recalibrate toward, um, it's a different mood uh, today than it was, you know, maybe 25 years ago or or something like that. And that's very much the case for us today. So we are living in what you might call the post-truth era. So post-truth, this is now a thing. You can even read about it. The Oxford Dictionary had it as the word of the year a couple years ago. So what is post-truth? Post-truth is basically if it's true for you, then it's true. That's what post-truth is. So it doesn't matter if it's actually true. Like we used to think truth was based on facts. So these certain facts are a reality which then uh, make this thing true post-truth says, well, none of that really matters anymore. I think it's true. I feel it's true. Therefore, it is true. That's the world that we are living in today. So since that's the world that we're living in today, um, we've got to know how to navigate this world. We're living at the time that the apostles warned about when people would reject the truth in favor of fables. And, and we see this happening all around us today. So what are we to do? Well, we, we, God's people, people who are followers of Christ, we can't go with the current post-truth attitude. We know that there's truth because for one, our Savior said he is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So, so we can't jettison truth like others are doing. No, we've got to stand firm on the truth. We've got to stand firm on it. We've got to live according to it. And we also have to proclaim it. And we have to, at times, push back against the post-truth uh, mentality that we find ourselves in. So we must continue to speak the truth. But listen, we must do it wisely and winsomely. So, so we're living in a time now it's, it's different than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, even five years ago. It's a different time. There's a, there's a different atmosphere, but we have the same task of speaking the truth. But we have to do it in such a way that people are going to hear it. Now, if, if our approach to speaking the truth is that, that hard line, harsh, in your face, this is the truth, whether you like it or not, you know, we might be speaking the truth, but guess what? Nobody's listening. They, they just tune you out they just like, you know, they're not going to hear a single word. Now, if we're speaking the truth, but nobody's hearing it, that's a problem. So so we've got to do our best to make sure that we're the, communicating the truth in such a way that people, even those who would tend to not want to hear it, have at least somewhat of an openness. And, and that will come as we speak the truth wisely and and winsomely so it's not a it's not a compromising of the truth but it's actually just adopting methods where we're going to be able to really truly get people to listen to what we're saying and it comes down to things like our tone and our demeanor Uh, we must reflect Christ's love as we tell people the truth of the gospel that's what we have to do. That's, that's the challenge that we have today. We, and, and we can meet that challenge if we are uh, adopting the, the, Barnabas, um, the Barnabas spirit, if you will. I, I call the message the Barnabas ethos. That's really what we're talking about here. Again, it's that... Um, you know, it's that uh, characteristic. So that Barnabas characteristic, this is how we're going to uh, be able to do this. And and again, like I'm saying, we can't disregard the truth. We can't water down the truth. We have to still speak the same truths. But a lot of times it's going to really come down to how we're saying it Whether we're going to have an audience or not, whether anybody's going to listen, whether anybody's going to pay attention. So, what I'm saying is the truth stands, but we have to adjust the way we present the truth. And you know what? This is actually biblical. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul said. So, if we've been doing it the other way, or we got used to doing it the other way because the culture, you know, kind of lent itself to us having more of a harsh, finger pointing, uh, condemning type of an approach to the truth, uh, which I think it did. Uh, Those days are gone. But the right way has always been, the biblical way has always been what Paul communicated in his letter to the Colossians chapter four, verses five and six. Listen to what he said. He said, walk in wisdom toward those who were outside, redeeming the time, and then he said this, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's the, the parakaleo, your speech, let it always be with grace coming alongside to comfort, to encourage those kinds of things seasoned with salt. That's the other side of it. So, you see, again, we are tasked with the, uh, proclaiming the truth. But what I'm saying is today, people's receiving of the truth will have a lot to do with the way we communicate it. And that's where the coming alongside, you know, the, the conversation with a person. You know, as, as Christians, when we express the truth, this is a problem. Sometimes we express it like we're, we're angry. There's, there's like an anger there, you know? And, you know, we're, we don't have to be angry in expressing the truth. We shouldn't be angry in expressing the truth. We ought to just be able to just, you know, get the truth right out there. But so often there, there is an anger and If you doubt what I'm saying, just go on Facebook. (laughs) And you can find plenty of anger. (laughs) And sadly, it's being expressed by Christians. And, you know, there's somebody that's doing something that they don't approve of. And and, and it's wrong. It's, you know, the Bible doesn't approve of it either. And and the approach is, hey, did you know you're going to burn in hell over that? And, um, you know, okay, it might be true. In the end, that, you know, of course people are, people are going to hell. That is true. But sometimes the way it's being expressed, it's like, did you know you're going to hell and I'm really happy about that? That's where the problem comes in. Um, because remember, we were all going to hell until Jesus uh, intervened in our lives. And the only difference between us and everybody else, remember, it's just the grace of God. That's the thing that separates us from everyone else. We've received God's grace. They've yet to do it. But the likelihood that they're going to do it is going to increase if they sense in us a sympathetic, loving insistence on the truth. So we're not backing down from the truth, but we're going to present it in a sympathetic and in a a loving way. And so this is the, the ministry that we're talking about. This is the ministry that we see modeled by Barnabas. This is the ministry that we want to model as believers in the world today. And this is the ministry that we want to experience among ourselves, encouraging one another, speaking the truth to one another in love, comforting when comfort is needed, exhorting when exhortation is needed. And it's through this ministry that we are built up and, and brought to a maturity in our faith. Now, maybe as we're talking about this, maybe this word parakaleo, maybe uh, this has reminded you of another similar word. If you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been around Bible teaching, uh, you've heard this other word for sure. And it's the word parakletos. That's the word that Jesus uses in reference to the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said concerning the Holy Spirit, he said, he he referred to the Holy Spirit as the comforter, or that's how we translate it. But it's the word parakletos, which is the noun of the verb parakleo. So the Holy Spirit is is the comforter. Uh, It's also translated in English as helper. So the Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the helper. One other time, this word is uh, used in the New Testament, and it actually refers to Jesus. And uh, the English word is uh, the advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Uh, The word is applied to him there. But Jesus applies that word to the Holy Spirit. Now, Notice what the text said about Barnabas. It says that he was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is the secret. Because the question is, how do we get this Barnabas ethos? How do we, how how can this be who we are as individual believers? And how can this be uh, who we are as, as as a community of believers? the key is the Holy Spirit. It's the person of the Spirit. Barnabas is, is full of the Spirit. And these beautiful things that, that you see proceeding from his life that caused the other apostles to say, hey, that guy is the son of encouragement. It's, it's that work of the Spirit. Now, you know, naturally, we, we all have different temperaments, right? And there are some people who are uh, their temperament is more mild. Their temperament is, uh, you know, they're, they're a bit timid in, in certain ways and, uh, you know, laid back is maybe a term that we would use to refer to that person. You know, oh man, they're, they're so laid back. Um, that's a temperament. But, but then you have, you have another temperament that is, uh, man, this person is intense, you know, this, this person is like, you know, they're kind of aggressive and they, you know, they're kind of pushy. And, you know, that's just genetics. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, you got that from your parents, you got that from, you know, your genes, but the person who is naturally more, um, mild and timid, what, what do they need? Well, if you're going to do what we're talking about here, you need that, you need a boost. You know, you need, you need that, that urgency that kind of comes upon you that brings you out of your natural temperament and, and helps you to be a little bit more aggressive, to be a little bit more passionate, maybe to be a little bit more intense. But then the person who's naturally like that, what do they need? They need it to be toned down a little bit man, you're coming on way too strong, buddy. The Holy Spirit, this is the beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit, this is what he does. He takes those who tend to be of a mild temperament and he uh, excites them. He energizes them. And he takes those who are of an intense spirit and he mellows them out he calms them down. And so you see, it's that, it's that combination of things. But again, it goes back to Barnabas was a man who was filled with the spirit. So here's really the question. How, how do we be filled with the spirit? How, how does this happen? Now, when it comes to being filled with the Spirit. There are different things that the Scripture teaches, and we have examples of people being prayed for, hands laid on them. They were filled with the Spirit. Um, but you know, when the Bible talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us, there's, there's a couple of different things that are actually being communicated. Sometimes what we're talking about is an empowering of the Spirit, an enabling supernaturally by the Spirit of God for service, gifts that are given to people for service, but then there is what we would commonly refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. And that's a bit of a different thing. The fruit of the Spirit is, has more to do with um, not so much with giftings, but with, but with temperament. So the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self control and those things. Now, so the question is well, you know, Barnabas is filled with the Spirit he's the son of encouragement. How does this happen for me? So what what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, in this case, I don't think we're talking so much about, hey, come up, let's lay hands on you, pray for you to be filled with the Spirit. You'll go out the door and you'll be that person. What we're talking about here is more of a lifestyle, filling with the Spirit. You know, the truth is we're filled with the Spirit by saturating our lives with the things of the spirit. That's how we're filled with the spirit. So if you're just depending on, yeah, I went forward to church. They laid hands on me, prayed for me to get filled with the spirit. If you're just depending on that, you're going to find that you're, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of inconsistency. You might even have gifts of the spirit that work in your life, but your character is really questionable at times that can happen. The the Corinthians were uh, they were a gifted congregation. Paul says you've come behind in no gift, but they had all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of carnality among them. Carnality meaning that although they were Christians, they didn't really behave like Christians. But what Barnabas obviously did is he really behaved like a Christian. He was full of the Holy Spirit in the sense that he, his life was saturated in the Spirit. Now, I want you to think about that word for a second, saturate. Or I think about another word, soak. That's what we're talking about. Now, if something is going to be saturated or, you know, if, if, if something's going to soak, um, you know, like a sponge, you put a sponge, you know, you can run the sponge under the water real quick and squeeze it and, you know, then you're off cleaning the counter. Um, But if you drop that thing in the water and leave it in there for a while, you know, it is really gonna just, it's gonna soak up to its full capacity. And and that's kind of the picture that we're talking about here. So we have to saturate ourselves in the things of the spirit. What are the things of the spirit? Well, God's word, being in God's word. Listen, you will never become a son or a daughter of encouragement by reading a couple Bible verses a week. It just, it just will never happen. You have to saturate your life in God's word and in things like worship and things like prayer and fellowship and good works and witness, basically where, where our lives just become about the Lord our lives become primarily about the things of the spirit. Yes, we all do other things. We have jobs and we have interest and we have hobbies and we have all those things. But you know, sometimes those things can take up so much of our time that we never actually do saturate ourselves. So that means there are times when I have to look at my life and say wait you know I don't need to do this and I'm 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 really distracted by that over there and we need to do a little uh, priority arrangement because the most important thing is that we're filled with the spirit and the only way to get filled with the spirit is to saturate ourselves in the things of the spirit god's word worship prayer fellowship good works witness those things and as we do that, what we're going to find is that we will be daughters and sons of encouragement. That, that beautiful parakaleo thing will happen through us as we gather together as God's people, whether it be uh, you know here on the campus or out in a home at a community group or wherever you gather with um, God's people, that'll be happening. And then as, as you go out into the world, as you're saturated in the things of the spirit, you will be that person who, as Paul said, you're walking in wisdom toward those that are outside. You're redeeming the time. And your speech is full of grace, but it's seasoned with salt. That's what we need in the church. That's what's needed out in the world. And Barnabas, wonderful Barnabas, shows us that this is is what God intends. Now, some of you know this. I have a dog named Barnabas. (laughs) But I didn't name him Barnabas. Cheryl named him Barnabas. But listen, Cheryl named him Barnabas before we ever had him. She used to go around, I want a golden doodle. I want a golden doodle so bad. We need a dog. Honey, the last thing we need in our lives right now is a dog. We have had 20 dogs and we do not need another dog. Oh no, we need a dog. I need my little Barnabas, she would say. Son of encouragement. Brian, you travel too much, you're gone. I need to be encouraged. I need a golden doodle named Barnabas. So my daughters did sabotage me. And on Cheryl's birthday a couple of years ago, they brought home a little golden doodle. And the minute Cheryl looked at him said, oh, Barnabas. (laughs) So, and you know, he really is a son of encouragement. Cheryl's been gone all weekend. I've been greatly encouraged by Barnabas. (laughs) You know, sometimes I look at Barnabas and I think, "I, I, I wish I could be more like him. Yeah, you know, he's really encouraging. He's, whenever we take him for a walk, you know what, people stop and say, this is the happiest dog we've ever seen. Why is this dog so happy? I don't know. Son of encouragement. I don't know. It's just what, it, you know, it's just who he is. It's just his, it's his personality. But you know, God wants to do that kind of thing with us, that we would be. And remember, this was a nickname. <laughs> they just looked at him and go, man, Joseph, Now, forget that. This guy is Barnabas. This guy is son of encouragement. And, you know, that we might be able to look around at each other and say, you know, no, this, this person, this girl right here, this lady, oh, she is so encouraging. This, this guy, this man has encouraged me so much. God help us. May that be. May that be the ethos of our own lives and of our uh, collective experience as the body of Christ. So Lord, we pray uh, that you would fill us with your spirit. And Lord, we know that it's, a, it's kind of a combined effort here. It's not just you filling us, but it's, it's Lord, us putting ourselves in that place of saturating ourselves with the things of the spirit. And as that happens, we are then filled up. And, and then like Barnabas... Uh, we, we just become like Barnabas with that ministry of, of encouragement and comfort and exhortation and beseeching when needed. So Lord, may you lead us individually and collectively into these things, the things that we see here in this unfolding story of your church in the world. And here we are so many centuries later, but Lord, we're your people just as they were. So may there be many sons and daughters of encouragement among us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.